Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. It is I, one of your co-hosts, Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my favorite person on the planet, Tara. Hey, spooksters. And today we're coming at you with kind of a format that we haven't done in a while. We used to do this, what is this, like early 2019? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Status where we would have a topic and then we would each pick a person or a lore. So we're coming at you with some haunted ladies because it is officially Spooktober or it's the first official main episode here on Three Spooked Girls for October 2020. And so we wanted to come at you with some frightening gals. So we're gonna we're gonna do that. But before we do that, let's talk about where you can find us. If you like social media, which seems to be well, pretty much everyone likes some sort of social media. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at Three Spooked Girls. If you're new here, welcome. Should say that because we're super happy you're here. You can also interact with us on a more day-to-day level at our Facebook group, which is Three Spooked Girls Official. It's super fun. In real time, I just commented. A bunch of spooksters were are part of this thing called the Book of the Month Club, which is a subscription thing. And they all got this book called The Night Swim. And I just got mine in the mail today. Literally got it 10 minutes ago and I've already read the first chapter. So I'm very excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's the one about a podcaster, right? Yeah, it's the yeah, it's about a podcaster. So I'm really excited to read it. I did see the trigger warning in the group, but I'm excited about it. So if you want to talk books, movies, show us your puppies, cute mugs, things that make you happy, you know. It's also Spooktober, so if you want to share some like spooky things with us as well, it's a great place to do it. Mm-hmm. Great interaction that goes on and Tara and I are in that group and we we see everything that goes on. So we're very very much love the Facebook group. For sure, for sure. If you want to help support the show, you can do that by joining our Patreon. It is at patreon.com backslash three spooked girls, or you can find it in the link tree below or on our Instagram highlights. All that information is there. For little as a dollar a month, you get an extra episode. $2 and up get slaughters. $5 and up get haunted grounds, which I don't know if you're a patron, if you're a $5 and up patron, you guys have to admit Tara's been bringing it with these haunted grounds. Her coffee choices or her caffeinated grounds have been like amazing. And on top of that, the spooky possessed items she's been bringing. It's not just like we just haven't done a bunch of dolls. She's gotten some really, really cool shit. I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. And so it made me very happy. 
Oh, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad. And it's, I hope all you guys are enjoying it. Jessica and I were obviously having a lot of fun recording them because we don't do recorded video very often. And then it's always so fun for me to edit because even though we had sat off recording talking, we still usually talk a good like five plus minutes before we start <laughs> and I get to watch it all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And it's great. And the items that you've been picking have been fantastic. So I've been super excited to learn about them as we've gone on. Thanks. Yeah. So if you want to get that kind of content, go ahead and check out our Patreon. If you're a $10 not patron, you can actually get an episode dedicated to you. You get to pick the topic. And yeah, it's fun. Yes. So right before we get into the content, we're going to take a very quick promo break. So we'll see you in a few minutes. BRB. This is creepy. The Horror Anthology podcast comprised of the most famous and terrifying stories from around the internet. Fully produced with original music and sound design by Steve Blizzon. Normally, new stories are added every Sunday. But for October, in honor of the creepiest season of the year, Creepy will, for the fourth year in a row, be releasing an episode a day for the entire month, featuring a full cast of narrators. That's 31 new episodes, all leading up to a very special episode on Halloween that runs over two hours long. Find us on your favorite podcast app or at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Up All Night, and Are You Afraid of the Dark podcast. We're your hosts... My name's Cortland. And I'm Brandon. And in our podcast, we take apart each episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, scene by scene, and discuss it in detail. This show is prime early 90s Canadian acting at its best. Or, in some cases, worst. We're here to laugh our way through seven seasons and 91 episodes. So whether you're a fan of the show... Dink. That's do. No, mister. Accent on the dough. Won't you come play with me? Hey, we're just having a goof. Or experiencing it for the first time. We know there's nothing better than staying up all night with a scary story. Well, welcome back from that promo break. We hope you enjoyed it. While we were on the promo break, Tara reminded me that I forgot to tell you what the drink was. Because <laughs> I was super excited to get into content. I tried to find something that was kind of like haunted or related but I didn't want to go too far off brand. And then I ended up going way off brand. (laughs) So Tara and I are talking about two different stories. I'm going to be talking about the legend of hugging Molly. And so when I typed into Pinterest, Molly cocktails or like, which I was like, that could be dangerous. Just saying. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thought about it after. But what popped up was Molly Weasley's cinnamon sunset cocktail. And it looks delicious. It's got cinnamon. You know those like red hot candies? Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, my mom used to make like snickerdoodles with them, but can never find the recipe. Hmm. So if anyone has a recipe for snickerdoodles that uses red hots, please DM me. Me too. My husband would like that. He loves those candies. <laughs> I love snickerdoodles. Deja, if you're listening, make that cookie happen. 
<laughs> Please help me. She's our cookie lady. <laughs> she is. Her cookies always look amazing. And I'm over here like, I made pumpkin bread the other day and I was like, I burnt it, but it's okay. We'll just cut that part off. <laughs> yeah. And that's funny. You said pumpkin. So like in real time today, I actually ordered two jars from her and she has a new pumpkin snickerdoodle cookie situation going on. Ooh. So I'm super fucking excited to try it. <laughs> I did see that you ordered cookies because I was on Venmo and I was like, um, ah, she ordered cookies. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so it has the Red Hots, it has tequila, it has Grand Marnier, and it has orange juice. And it's very pretty. And I love a good Red Hot anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm here for it. Sounds good. I don't know how the rest of you are, but I am. You can be here for it. You don't get a choice. Part of the yes. cult now. <laughs> you are here. You must deal with it. <laughs> so I'm actually going to start us off today. I'm going to be talking about hugging Molly, which is a very interesting story. And when Tara and I first were looking up topics to do during the spooky season, I was like, we have to do this one. And you'll understand at the end, it mainly had to do with the fact that there's a dessert named after her. And I was like, I want to do it. <laughs> so the legend takes place in Abbeville, Alabama, which is located in the southeast corner of Alabama, right smack in the middle of Henry County. And it has a population of 2,549 people. Wow. Super small. So it's very robust. And <laughs> Sorry. If you're from Abbeville, like you live in a really cool ass town. I just want to say that. So there's there's several versions of the Hugging Molly lore. She is very, I say she, but like sometimes it's a he. I don't know. But she's very frequently described as a giant woman about seven feet tall. And this is the my favorite description ever. As big around as a bale of cotton. <laughs> I don't know how big that is. I don't either, but okay. I'm thinking solid? I mean, somebody please let me know. I could also Google it, but that's just, I'm lazy. Yeah, because like all I can think of is a bale of hay and that's different. So I don't know. <laughs> right. And to be realistic, depending on where you live in the country, a bale of hay looks a little different. True. True. Because there's those big rounds of bales mm -hmm. in like the Midwest. And then in like where Tara and I are from, bales are like these little rectangles. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the ones you sit on. I used to break up to feed my horses. So the legend claims that a phantom woman would appear to children, but only at night. And she would squeeze them tightly and scream in their ears. And if this happens to you, she chases you down. Like I said, gives you big hugs, screams in your ear. But then she lets you go. I watched one YouTube, like I did all this research and everyone was like, hugging Molly does not kill people. But then this one girl was like, was very concerned because she was like, and she kills people. And I'm like, where? <laughs> Who? What? Where? <laughs> and I'm just like, where did you get this information from? And like, no sources. I was like, what's happening? Anyway, so like I said, she never harms them, but then they get like a ringing in their ear, which right now in real life, I am struggling with my sinuses. Like Tara lives this day by day with me because I'm like, Tara, I can't hear right now <laughs> because my sinuses are so impacted. Did they go like, in, you don't really want to know, but to let you know, it drains through my ears. So I can't hear that well. It's super fun. Anyway, she's, like I said, this woman is seven feet tall. She's always depicted as wearing dark clothes. And sometimes she has a wide brim hat on that is described as black. So often she's said to be a witch, which I'm like, what? I mean, she's attacking people at night. Like, why would she wear bright green? Right. Exactly. Like, or reflective. <laughs> 
She's sneaky. <laughs> you need to wear glow-in-the-dark hats, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please start wearing the reflector jacket that you're supposed to bike in? <laughs> Some say the ghost walks the streets of Abbeville late at night and they can hear her like her dress sweeping on the streets and I was like or a street sweeper (laughs) (laughs) I pulled some stories from different places one theory is and this is one of my favorite theories is that Molly was a professor at a former southeast Alabama agricultural school who was trying to keep the students safe by keeping them off the streets at night oh wow So this person would like dress up. I will say that like most of these stories, because like there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, no, I've seen her or him. But I'm pretty sure it's just people being like, I don't know. It's like when people dress up like clowns. I'm pretty sure people are like, let's dress up like Molly and go scare kids. (laughs) Another version claims that Molly is the ghost of a woman who lost her infant who dealt with the tragedy by hugging local children, which that sounded sweet. Mm -hmm. But to go into that a little bit more, the story is shortly before the turn of the century, a young woman of Abbeville became pregnant out of wedlock. In those times, you weren't allowed to get pregnant out of wedlock. It was was a big no-no. And to quote this story, the circumstances were only forgivable by God, if ever, and then forgotten by man. Hmm. The story was, like, given in the 1960s. So we're talking, like, 1900 era. Makes sense. The mother gave birth to a baby boy, but never married the father. The young Abbeyvale male was from a prominent family, and soon after, the mother died... Right after giving birth. According to Dr. Blackledge, who attended at her birth and shortly after at her death, the young mother was poisoned. It was presumed that the baby's father did this and was arrested and convicted. And rumors flew around Abbeville. They obviously did an autopsy, according to the story, and she had poison in her. And the reason they thought it was him is that he kept trying to get her to nurse the baby. But, like, she was sick, and so she knew something was wrong, and she thought she was poisoned. So she was like, I'm not going to nurse my baby because then I would kill my baby. But because he did that, people were like, I think he killed her. Because obviously he did not want to deal with the ramifications of his extracurricular activities. So the young man was convicted of the crime. He was actually sentenced and hung, or he was sentenced to be hung, but he escaped and fled from Abbeville to Texas, where he disappeared again. I guess the baby grew up, but it did not have a great life. The town old timers say that he lived a sad short life. Oh, that's sad. Right? I was very sad about that. Mm. Also, one of my (laughs) sources is called the Chattahoochee Heritage Project. Thank God. What is it? Alan Jackson had that song in the 90s because otherwise I'd have stared at that word and been like, what the hell? Chattahoochee. (laughs) So according to this project, there's actually two ghosty ghosts in Abbeville. One is Hugging Molly and the other one is The Lady in Black. And I don't really understand how they're different, but they say like the Lady in Black, I guess, is a little bit more mischievous. I'm like, cool. So quoting this from that source, it says, On a cold, dark, rainy night, so bitterly cold, damp, and dark that even the street lights won't burn, and striking a match refuses to yield the tiniest of flames. On this night, Hugging Molly comes out of her lair and roams the streets of Abbeville to see whom she can find. I mean, like, you're writing lore. That's, like, pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. So essentially the story is, it's one of those lures that they make up so that kids don't go out at night, that they come home before dark. And 
People say they've seen them. There was one guy named uh, Mac Gregory. He said that he was born in 1901 and come as a teenager. He delivered groceries. And he said that he was coming home one night from delivering groceries. And he felt anxious. And he basically turned around and hugging Melly was there. And he ran off frightened. He basically kept walking and she was following him. And his mom, sensing something was wrong, came out onto the porch and was yelling for him to get home. I was like, oh, damn. But the town of Abbeville has really leaned into this lore. It's not even just like a, oh, yeah, there's that story. No, they very much embrace it. There's signs all around town that say Hugging Molly, parking lot, beware of Hugging Molly. (laughs) I'm like, I really want to visit Abbeville. Alabama. It sounds fun. But the other really cool thing is there is a Hugging Molly restaurant in Abbeville. It's at 129 Kirkland Street. It's currently opened, obviously COVID-ish rules. It's open Monday through Saturday for lunch from 11 to 2. And I apparently deleted the dinner hours. I'm pretty sure it's a little later. It's like four to something. I apologize. But it is closed on Sundays. I want to say that because how many times have people been like, I'm going to go here. And then I think someone did that for our like Velisca axe murder. Someone was like, I went to go, but they're closed that day. Oh, yeah. So they are closed on Mondays. Mondays? Or no, not Mondays, Sundays. Sundays, sorry. They're closed on Sundays, which makes sense. It's the Bible Belt. So the restaurant is owned by the Rain family. Anthony Rain, who is the patriarch of the family, or as he's better known as Mr. Tony. He is an Italian immigrant who came to like New York and then worked in restaurants in New York and then decided for some reason to go to Abbeville, Alabama. I'm always interested when someone moves, like my parents moved from LA, they, they lived in Glendale, and then ended up in Chester, California. I'm always like, how did that happen? <laughs> so I'm always curious, like when someone's like, I lived in New York, and then I ended up in this really tiny town. But he went and moved and opened a restaurant, and then his son Jimmy has taken it over. And if you go there, there's a few things on the menu that's named after our Hugging Molly. There's the Golly Molly Dessert, which I don't know what it is because it doesn't say. There's the Molly's Blonde Sister, or Blonde Sister, so I'm assuming it's like a blondie Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then there is something called Molly's Finger Plate, which I'm very curious to what that is. Is it chicken tendies? Like, if it's chicken tendies, I'm down. If it's something weird and creepy, I don't know if I want it. <laughs> I mean, if it's a des- it could be a dessert, too, with, like, lady fingers. Oh, no, it's, like, on the actual, like, food menu part. Oh, then I would probably say chicken tenders type of situation. I think it's chicken tendies. But yeah, so that's kind of the story of Hugging Molly. So if you are in Abbeville, Alabama, and you are out past dark, beware, she's going to come scream in your ear and hug you really tight. I mean, it would startle me, but is it the worst kind of experience to have? No. (laughs) I mean, she runs up behind you, grabs your ass, holds you in place and screams in your ear. Maybe she thinks it's funny to scare people. Maybe she's just very practical joker type of person. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I think like they don't know the gender because it's probably a bunch of local kids just like fucking with shit. <laughs> could be, could be. Let's be honest, Tara, you and I grew up in small towns. We used to take people's sky hunting, which is equally a terrifying thing to do where you take someone into an orchard and tie them to a tree and then leave them but run around screaming really loud did i ever take you sky hunting no i was about to be like i did not participate in such things it was fun 
typically you had to like have a new person in town to do it because most people knew like, oh, sky punting, that's not a real thing. I was never tied to a tree. And if I tied you to a tree, I'm very sorry. That was bullying. And I was in high school and I'm a different person now. But if you were a dick and you deserved it, I take no apology. (laughs) I'm going to hand it over to Tara and she's going to tell you about her spooky gal. Yes. So Jessica handed this one to me because apparently I pronounce it better, but I'm sure somebody will still at me on Twitter or TikTok, but it's okay. So I'm going to be telling you guys about La Llorona. It's one y'all may know about. We actually kind of chit-chatted about her in a live stream, I believe, like a year or so ago. But we wanted to bring her onto the podcast, especially since there was some parallels with hugging Molly and her. So, you know, you know. So this story is similar to Hugging Molly in the fact that it does vary, especially because it's an oral traditional type of story, passes from families to families, regions to regions, so details change. Now, La Llorona is very prevalent in Latinx culture, including Mexico, Central America, and South America as well. Like I said, it does vary. So I'm going to give you guys the general consensus rundown. And then there's a couple little parts that were kind of interesting with their differences. So I'll just mention that there. So the story goes that a woman who she's typically called Maria, she was described as a beautiful woman who came from a poor village. And she ended up meeting and marrying a very powerful and rich man. Things were great for them for the first couple years, you know, like honeymoon phase and stuff. And then they ended up having two children, a son and a daughter. And then after that, a couple years pass and it was said things started to kind of go downhill. It didn't really say what this husband did for work, but apparently he traveled a lot and didn't really get to spend so much time with his family. So that upset her. And when he was home, he didn't really pay any mind to Maria, just the kids. And so, of course, that's another thing that would upset her. And then it was said that in one version, she was on a walk with her kids and she caught her husband with another woman. So a little variation of that was that he was actually planning on leaving her to marry the other woman due to the fact she was of a higher social class. That makes sense in this time period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like some of the articles of quote upgrade type of situation. Either way, whatever it was, whether it was first time cheating or wife number two, she was said to become so filled with rage that she took her children to the river and she drowned them. A few versions said she stabbed them and then threw them into the river. Oh, God. Yeah, that one's pretty, like, graphic, but it seems the majority who tell this story say that she threw them in the river and let them drown or drowned them. It's terrible either way. Right? It said that she snapped out of this rage blackout fit thing right away after she had killed her children and realized what she was done. And she was like, oh, my God, and freaking out and just so full of grief that she either drowned herself immediately or she did go home, but she would end up dying from grief at her home. So either way, she died. For like a half a second, I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, no, bitch, you just drowned your kids. Yeah, I don't feel bad for her. She was found and buried there in their village the next day, and the night of her burial, citizens of the village said that they heard a woman crying and saying, where are my children? And that they could also see a woman walking around and crying and stuff, and she was in white robes or a white dress, the same kind of thing Maria was buried in. 
And people say that her soul is trapped here on Earth because she wasn't allowed into heaven and had been placed into a personalized purgatory where she's stuck on Earth and was tricked by a demon because the demon had told her that she could only come back once she found the souls of her children so they could be brought to heaven where they belonged because they were innocent. Also, it is said that the demon totally knew (laughs) what the fuck they were doing, and it said that the children's souls were already in heaven, but they wanted her to be stuck in the, quote, land of the living. So that's what happened. She got stuck there, and she's always crying and wailing for this horrible thing she did. And after it was said as well, after a long time without finding her children, her grief and desperation to just be able to die and be at peace caused her to take a turn for the worse. And this is when she became kind of what you might be familiar with, especially if you watched the movie from like 2019, 2018. It came out kind of recently. And this is when she starts taking the souls of living children. Oh, goodness. Yes. And it was said that she would take the souls of these children who would misbehave or who even resembled her own children. And there also was an article or two when I was reading about her that said she also attacked husbands who cheated on their wives, which, I mean, I ain't going to be mad at that part. <laughs> I mean, that that seems very on point. Yeah. Bitch, you cheated on me, which is, I don't know, that whole, like, my husband cheated on me, so I killed my kids. Like, that's a really weird, like, I can understand if she killed her husband. Oh, no, that's why I'm saying, like, it makes sense why she goes after cheating husbands. I get that. Right. (laughs) But yeah, not the kids thing. Like, they did nothing. But really, what kind of from my understanding, what I was reading, too, was I didn't see a lot of articles that said this, but some said she was like, can't think of the word now. Not self-absorbed, but a different, another adjective. And basically, it it seems more like a, she was mad that they were getting the attention and she wasn't getting nothing. So I don't know if she thought if she killed them, that would solve the problems, but obviously not. No. Now, this isn't like the movie where she can just pop up anywhere and be in your house and about to try to kill you. It said that she always is near a body of water, which makes sense because that's where her children's murders were and her own death, depending on which version you go with. And she also only appears at night, which more parallels to Hugging Molly. Now, it is said, though, with that, people do still take precautions to protect themselves and protect their children. The most popular ways of that being prayers, crosses, and lights or candles, which they do in the movie, too. So makes sense. And that's that's the quick rundown of that lore. But after reading and kind of listening to some videos on this, I did get interested in her background to see what kind of like history links we had with that. It's believed that she is thought to be one of the 10 omens for telling the conquest of Mexico. And she's also been linked to some Aztec goddesses. Oh, yeah. They have very complicated names and I'm not even going to make anyone who knows how to say these properly die inside. So I'm just going to go with the translated names. (laughs) (laughs) Just putting that out there. (laughs) First one is called Snake Woman, and she is described as a, quote, savage beast and evil omen, more specifically for war. Oh. Yes. And the Snake Woman also matches with La Llorona because she was dressed in all white and would walk through the night weeping and wailing. So basically the same thing is what I'm getting. Right. And the other goddess, 
which translates, her name translates to she of the snaky skirt, was the mother of the Aztec god of war. Snaky skirt. Yeah. And she is described as, quote, the ugliest and dirtiest that one could possibly imagine. Her face was so black and covered with filth that she looked like something straight out of hell, end quote. How rude. Right? And with her story, it said that she was waiting for the god of war, her son, to return. And she just weeps and mourns for him while he's gone. So, like, more crying after their children type of thing. And then the last one is, or translates to, the jade-skirted one. Ooh. So apparently they're all skirted people. Is that how they told gender? Uh, maybe. I don't, I did not look into that. If anyone knows, feel free to tell me. She's a goddess of the waters and the elder sister of the rain god. So that's interesting. Mm -mm. She is also described as one who was feared and caused terror. So also a scary person. And the way she tied in was she was said to drown people and overturn boats. Oh. Yeah. And they would also have, you know, when they did ceremonies to honor the rain gods and stuff including her, it involved sacrificing children. Oh, I mean, Aztecs did do that a lot. Yeah. And for these victims of these kind of sacrifices, basically they were brought from their mothers. And then the more the children cried, they thought that equated to a more successful sacrifice, basically. Oh, good. Torture. There was also a Greek influence as well. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So... One article said that there's like this Greek story that talks of Hera discovering Zeus having an affair and she forced the mistress to eat her children. Yeah. And apparently, and I don't know how to pronounce this one, so I'm sorry. Someone will correct me. It's Lamia or Lamia or something like that. She wanders the earth devouring all the kids she can get her hands on. Wow. She like the Yule mom. Pretty much. And there's also another story of someone named Medea who had two children with Jason the Agronaut. And she kills the children after Jason leaves her for another woman. Apparently this is the tale as old as time. Apparently. But like Hera is... One of those crazies who's like, she, I don't know why she stayed with Zeus because like dude could not keep his Greek god pecker in his toga because like <laughs> she had a lot of vengeance. Let's put it that way. Oof. Yeah. And honestly, if you just if you're interested to see like what other kind of backgrounds, there's all kinds of stuff all over the world that tell similar stories. There's stuff in like Europe as well. So, yeah, plenty to check out as far as that goes. But those were kind of like my honorable mentions. But before we wrap things up, I do actually have a true crime aspect. Ooh. Yes. And I thought it was kind of it's very heartbreaking, but I found it interesting because I had never heard about it before. And I know we did not talk about it before. So bonus. So in 1986, there was a woman. Her name was Juana Leja, and it was said that she attempted to kill her seven children by throwing them into the Buffalo Bayou in Houston, Texas, which I also read La Llorona 
is really popular in the Southwest region as well for stories. So mm-hmm. Juana was actually a victim of domestic violence. And all the articles I was reading was she got beat regularly, unfortunately, by her husband and things like that. It was just not a safe environment for anybody there. And she was trying to leave. But then apparently one day she decided that she was going to end all of this suffering that her and her children were going through. It was said that in this incident, two of her children died, and they were Judas, who was age six, and Juana, who was age five. She had thrown six of her seven children into the bayou. Fortunately, the other four were able to get out of the water, like they were rescued slash helped each other, and they got out. And then her nine-year-old daughter, Elisa, ran and got help. And on top of the domestic violence environment at home, it was also noted she dealt with mental illness. More specifically, after her, I believe, her last child, she was diagnosed a year after their birth with bipolar disorder. It wasn't noted if she was treated or not, but from what I was reading, it kind of made it sound like she wasn't. She said that the day before the incident, she said she began to hear voices. Hmm. Yeah. And in Juana's case, District Judge Jimmy James sentenced her to 10 years probation after she pleaded no contest on June 18th of 1987. And at the same time, she also divorced her husband and their divorce was finalized on June 21st of 1988. And honestly, this story, there wasn't much else to it. The most recent article was from like 2001. So (laughs) we're in 2020 now. So almost 20 year old article. Oh, wow. Yeah. But she had said like she has not seen her now ex-husband since their proceedings and everything like that. And she actually... With the children that did survive, like I believe one or two of them, she reconnected with them. Another one, I believe, is one of the older kids, and she was dealing with her own mental illness things and was actually at a facility. So she tried to reconnect with, I guess, at least some of her children. So, yeah. But when they talked to her ex-husband, he actually denied that he was abusive towards her at all. Wow. Yeah. And this is like where the different lines of people reporting on true crime come into play is like one really quick article mentioned her kind of like backhandedly. And they're like, oh, she claimed to be La Llorona, da 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 like one sentence. That was all they said. That was pretty much what they said. And I was like, what? There's got to be more to this. So I Googled it and that's what I found. So, yeah, kind of very, very sad. And honestly, like, especially if it's the situation where Hugging Molly lost her child. Mm -hmm. They're both just really sad folklores. They really are. And it's like, it's interesting that that's something that has been throughout history is that there are these women who either lose their children or kill their children or, you know, have their children murdered and that they seek them out in death. So it's it's very interesting. It's very heartbreaking. Yeah. It seems like people may actually know both stories very well. I know La Llorona, especially like after they started making movies and stuff, it got very popular. And, you know, the other on the other hand, so we're not like ending on, oh, my God, let's all go cry now. No, sorry, guys. <laughs> but it's like the uh, the other hand of these folklores that I noticed, too, was people who don't believe in ghosts and whatnot or whatever. Mm-hmm. They say that these are just stories that people are 
are trying to scare the shit out of their kids so they'll behave. (laughs) No, that's exactly what a lot of these lures are. I think, honestly, like with lures, it kind of is one of those things where I think there was probably a story way back when and then it got told over and over and over again. Like, yeah, I forgot to mention that like Hugging Molly has its roots in Ireland. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which makes me giggle because I think of flogging Molly, which reminds me of high school. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, I don't necessarily, I mean, I think like in modern times, we tell children like, I mean, these stories are still told to children for sure. But like overall, we tell children like, don't go out at night because it's unsafe because you could get kidnapped. Or, you know, and these are kind of like, you know, hugging Molly. It's this very like, it's like the innocent haunting, you know, like you don't want to get caught out because she's going to scare you and you don't want to be scared. So unless you're that one person who's like, she kills people, which I've found no proof that she kills people. So, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. These are definitely some thought provoking stories. Head over to our socials and tell us stories your parents told us to keep you from going out at night or to help you behave. Like I tried the whole with my niece and nephew, like Santa's watching and they quickly caught on to that bullshit. They were like, "Mm." (laughs) and then I tried to be like, I'm texting Santa and they're like, you don't have Santa's number. (laughs) Or the one time my niece Shelby looked at me because kids are smart with phones now. And she's like, I deleted Santa's number. And I was like, oh, shit. I don't know what I'm saying that. But okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope you enjoyed this. And we will see you back here on Thursday for a stabby. Bye, guys. Bye. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.